let's get start talking about this bitch because now I just found out some tea. Good tea. Yeah. Um. Okay. Well, hi everyone. I'm Riss. And I'm Liza. And this is the Little Sleep Much Reading Podcast. And finally, from so little sleeping and so much reading, his brain dried up and he went completely out of his mind. Wait, did you say that Miss Geeklove died on May 11th? Mm-hmm. So did Douglas Adams. Stop, that's scary. And he was born on March 11th. Oh, so like 11 is probably like, that's his number. That's his number. It's a shame he was as young as he was. He didn't even make it to 50. What the fuck? He died in like 2001, right? Yeah. That also feels weird for a sci-fi guy to die in 2001. Right. We kind of buried the lead there. We just started talking about him. So if you guys didn't realize, um, today's episode centers around a birthday. Birthday. The birthday of Mr. Douglas Adams, who, if that name sounds familiar to you, but you're like, "Mm, I don't know who that is. He did write the very popular book, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which was a movie and a TV show, I'm pretty sure. And a video Um, game. Oh, I didn't know that. A video game. Um, You could also know him from his other book, uh, Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency, which was also a TV show. And I'm pretty sure Elijah Wood, is that his name? Yeah. Was in it. Lord of the Rings? Yeah. Yes. No way. Uh Uh-huh. He's in it. I have to watch this. Um, let me think. What else? Oh, yeah. He also wrote a few episodes of Doctor Who. That's the tea I found out that I didn't know that I was like, no way. He's, you know, Mr. Mr. Douglas Adams is a big sci-fi guy. I have such deep, even though I'm not a sci-fi girl, and I don't think you really are either. Like, we're not deeply sci-fi. I have such a love for sci-fi authors because I think they're so cool. Yes. Like they're also usually super funny too. They're usually so funny. I always think it's so crazy like how they just can think about things in such a different way than the rest of us can mm-hmm. that it almost seems otherworldly themselves. Dre Bradbury like fucking invented basically earbud like he didn't invent them but like he predicted like earbuds mm-hmm. and like facetime and i always thought even though he's not a, a fiction author he kind of is um i always thought david bowie seemed like he came from another planet he definitely did and yeah he he that's confirmed um and douglas adams is giving the same vibes that like not necessarily came from another planet but like he just thinks about things. The fact that he was able to write Doctor Who and Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, two of the most best world-building sci-fi anybody has ever seen, pretty sick. He also 
Okay, like how you were talking about um, how Ray Bradbury like kind of predicted things and he wrote in like this different way. Douglas Adam does that too. It's weird. I, he, a Tumblr post came up on my Pinterest today about him. And maybe I will open that up and read some of it because it was pretty much like the way that Douglas Adams describes things is insane. So I have no idea what book this is from. It's probably from Hitchhiker's Guide, honestly, but I don't know. It says, if you took a cup, speaking of David Bowie, if you took a couple of David Bowies and stuck one of the David Bowies on top of the other David Bowie and then attached another David Bowie to the end of each of the arms of the upper of the first two David Bowies and wrapped the whole business up in a dirty beach robe, you would then have something which didn't exactly look like John Watson, but which those who knew him would find hauntingly familiar. What the hell, literally? He also wrote, and then this is just like a whole Tumblr post of like the analogies that he writes and how good they are. There's one that says, Arthur Dent was grappling with his consciousness the way one grapples with a lost bar of soap in the bath. That's so freaking good. That's so cool. Um, And again, like we were just saying, sci-fi writers, I see it a lot in sci-fi writers. They have a way of describing things that makes so much sense, but that you wouldn't have thought to. Yes, I agree. Which is weirdly sci-fi. It is. And I remember, like, I haven't seen it in forever, but I used to be obsessed with Doctor Who, like probably to an embarrassing point. Um, wow, wait, this is a big moment for you to admit that. I know. I know. I don't tell people that often. Uh, I thank love you it. for sharing. Yeah, I had like every like I had like TARDIS everything, bro. But I yeah, here I am starting the episode with saying I'm not a sci-fi person, and then I literally was like obsessed with Doctor Who, but. I remember thinking as a teenager that sometimes the shit they would say on Doctor Who was so profound. Like, it would, like, it's, like, very, like, sci-fi. I feel this way about when I sometimes see Star Wars 2, that, like, it's, like, oddly inspiring. Mm -hmm. And I think space is kind of that way, too. Like, I don't know about you, but, like, my Memento Mori low-key is space. Mm -hmm. I don't know if Memento Mori is the right phrase, but, like, just if you ever need to be humbled, I guess, and reminded of how insignificant you are, kind of, but in like a good way. Just think about how vast space is. Yeah. And I feel like sci-fi writers utilize that really well. And like that's why I brought up David Bowie too. But like all his songs about space, like they're very like weirdly like moving. And so I think people that know a lot about space, even if they're making it up, are like really deep in a way that people who don't think about space in that way aren't you know what i mean yes yeah march 11th douglas adams birthday that means he's a pisces okay pisces king pisces king thank you pisces are an interesting bunch but i traditionally like them even though some people don't like them very much I don't really have an opinion. I vibe well with water signs and water signs like me. 
I don't. <laughs> you might not like Pisces then. But I am I am a um a Leo, so we you know, dim fire signs are not about our life. I have a theory that air signs kind of work well with everybody. They're like the universal donor. Yes. Because fire and water both are kind of polarizing. And I feel like air signs and earth signs are like more can like kind of match with anybody. But in my humble opinion, air signs are cooler than earth signs. <laughs> Sorry about um, it. I, yeah, I think I would agree with that. We got a little off topic there, but it is what it is. It do be what it do be. Um, another interesting thing I found out about Douglas Adams that I wanted to mention before we talk about other interesting things about him is that he was like a staunch atheist. Um, he, he, he described himself as a radical atheist, adding radical for emphasis. So he would not be asked if he meant agnostic. He said he imagined what is it? he told American atheists that this conveyed the fact that he really meant it. He imagined a sentient puddle who wakes up one morning and thinks this is an interesting world. I find myself in an interesting hole. I find myself in fits me rather neatly. Doesn't it? In fact, it fits me staggeringly. Well, must have been made for me in it to demonstrate his view that the fine tuned universe argument for God was a fallacy. And I just thought that was so interesting. And I think it's really fucking cool, honestly, that because I'm guessing a lot of writers are atheists because obviously some of them aren't because religion is such a big part of a lot of people's writing. But I think even even people who do unique world building to be able to play God I think causes some sort of like, and the, I, I don't know. And then I don't want to sound like I'm like attacking, like everybody's allowed to believe whatever they want to believe, but I'm also like critical thinking skills that you develop for being a reader and a writer make it hard to believe to, to be anything other than an atheist sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like I said, that's not true for everybody, but it makes it hard. Like, like it makes it hard to be anything other than agnostic or atheist Does that make sense? Yes. But I also think it is so cool for somebody who is writing science fiction specifically to be a radical atheist because you know that they like it's just really cool because, you know, he believed wholeheartedly in science and in fact, and then he still had a brain that wanted to create fictions sheerly for entertainment, Mm -hmm. but also to look at the world in a way that does speak truth, but in a way that is like so different from organized religion, if that makes sense. Yeah. I also think it's just, uh, sometimes it's often hard for people to except that like they won't know everything Mm -hmm. and that there will sometimes just not be answers for things Mm -hmm. yet and so like I feel like a lot of people use God to be like well there's your answer and the fact that he's like yeah I mean like you said there's still so much that happened since he died and he probably had so many 
questions that were unanswered and instead of just being like well you know it, let's just chalk it up to god he was like no like there is no god and there are answers to these questions that are just not here yet right right so interesting so it, i thought that i don't know i just thought that was really cool when i read that i was like that's dope and that's dope too that he like really wanted people to know that right because also this is maybe a stretch, but sometimes I feel like science fiction and fantasy are a radical act of resistance against organized religion. Because you know how like really conservative religions will ban, this is a bad example because J.K. Rowling's a nutcase, but will ban like Harry Potter because it's magic and they're like you can't believe that they're like no 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 the only magic there is is god and so but so fucking douglas adams being like uh these are all my characters and they travel around the universe going to like crazy restaurants and there's crazy robots and aliens and da 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 da. by the way god isn't real <laughs> try banning my book bitch like i just think that's really fun that a sci-fi slash fantasy author was like, here you go. Let me just sprinkle this on top. Take that. I, I started Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I never finished it. And the reason why was because I read it senior year of high school, which uh, for me, Eliza was 2016 to 2017. Mm-hmm. Anyone know what was going on at that time? <laughs> Elections, baby. Elections, baby. And the tyrant in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was like very Trump to me. And I was like, oh, bestie, like this is a little bit too real for me right now. Yeah. So I had to stop. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Like literally to a T, like to the point where I was like, this is scary. I'm really curious now. Like I now I also if you guys haven't gathered, neither of us read Hitchhiker's Guide for this episode. No, no. But I almost feel like I have a more profound respect for him now. So I think I might enjoy the book even more than I would have Mm -hmm. if I just picked it up whenever, you know? Yes, I definitely. Yes. That's so that's so interesting. It's another one of those things that you're like, God, I'm glad like I'm sorry that you died young, but I'm glad you didn't have to live to see some of this bullshit. I know. But can you imagine his tweets? They would have been insane. They would have been so good. He would have been joking and like teasing everybody. Because Boris Johnson is a lunatic, too. (laughs) They're prime minister. Yeah. I found this sweet quote just now, and this will kind of lead into what I guess we might talk about next, but when he died um, to tie this in, evolutionary biologist and fellow atheist Richard Dawkins was a good friend of Douglas Adams, and he was an atheist, but he wrote this book called The God Delusion, Richard Dawkins did, and he kind of cites Douglas Adams as his like conversion, like who converted him to atheism, which I think is really interesting. And I'm guessing he was kind of like, because he was an evolutionary biologist, he definitely like 
was a scientist. Mm-hmm. But I'm guessing he had some sort of thought similar to, I don't know, like Stephen Hawking, for example, who believed everything had a scientific explanation except for the spark, in which case of the universe, in which case Stephen Hawking was like, somebody did that. And that's just how he was able to wrap his brain around things, which I totally respect and probably relate to more than not thinking that. Because if if you're not a science person, your brain can only go so far. Mm-hmm. And then it that's when you start to make stuff up for yourself. Either way, just to give you some background on um, Richard Dawkins, but that's how it ties into the atheism thing. But also I found this sweet quote from when Douglas Adams died that says, science has lost a friend literature has lost a luminary the mountain gorilla and the black rhino have lost a gallant defender and i'm like that's so sad and nice science has lost a friend and literature has lost the luminary t wow i love that i love that too that makes me feel mushy mushy but yeah it that if you were kind of confused by that last part, listeners, the mountain gorilla and the black rhino have lost a gallant defender. It's because um, Adams was a huge environmental activist, um, specifically in terms of campaigning for endangered species, which Marissa and I were also talking about. How cool that a science fiction author has such a preoccupation with the creatures of our world. And the dedication to protecting them. But yeah, we we kind of found this out because I decided to read Last Chance to See. It started as a BBC radio documentary in 1989. And then it was turned into the book, Last Chance to See. And I actually didn't read it this week. I listened to it. So I won't be rating it in the same way that I normally would, but Marissa and I are still going to talk about it and this cause that he supported until the end of his life. Yeah, I'm very excited. Um, I've known about that book for quite a while, but I've never read it. But there's just something so interesting about someone who's like so in love with science and in love with space and things otherworldly but who has enough sense to be able to look around him and be like okay but this is where I am right now right this is what's happening right now yes and makes me a little bit emotional yeah I did not have time to read a book this week but no one fret because you all get to listen to me um rant about zoos so we're gonna let liza um have the floor and talk about and and, you know but she's gonna spread some awareness with this book i am these animals and then um i'll talk about zoos and it'll be splendid i'm so excited i had a lot of fun with this this week so like i said i listened to it and it was really cool. And it had the guy in it who did the radio series with him, um, Mark Carwadine. I'm sorry if I'm butchering his name, but he's like a 
he's like a wilderness explorer from England. And I don't know about y'all, but I love like travel shows. And this audiobook presentation had that vibe. So I used to love the crocodile hunter when I was a kid, like obsessed. And I don't know if you guys remember, but Dominic Monaghan, who plays Mary in Lord of the Rings, had a travel show for a while and it was so cool. Um, Any sort of like travel show like that, I just really like. And this definitely had that energy. And basically to give context, it started as that radio series and there was just going to be one episode about the I.I. Lemur. But then people that they got Douglas Adams to narrate and it was just to bring awareness to the I.I. Lemur of Madagascar. But then the British people went crazy and they were like, this is the best thing I've ever heard. And so it became the radio series, which he later did the book tie in. And they saw they traveled the world. So Douglas Adams. And it was really funny, too, because I guess he is, was kind of bougie. And so he would stay at like the fancy hotels in whatever random place they were. And but they traveled the world. They went to Indonesia, New Zealand, uh, the Republic of Zaire, um, which was no longer exists, but it's in Africa and it's now the Congo, Democratic Republic of the Congo. They went to China. They went to um, the Republic of Mauritius, which is island nation in the Indian Ocean. It's part of, I think it's part of Africa as well, considered part of Africa, Brazil and Chile. So they were all over the place. And they obviously had Mark Carradine, who I guess I'm looking now, he was working for WWF at the time. And it was basically just to raise awareness about all the different endangered creatures of the world and that's why it's called last chance to see um and i'm guessing that i like i said i couldn't really find it but i'm guessing douglas adams was included because i'm guessing they asked him to do it because of his commitment to conservation but also because of how funny he was and then i think it was him going to madagascar and learning about the ii in 1985 from what i'm gathering caused him to become even more passionate about the subject and he became particularly the reason he said the black rhino and the mountain gorilla the reason richard dawkins said that is because he became i think specifically fascinated with those creatures especially gorillas and he was a big donor um or um supporter of the diane fossey gorilla fund um if you don't know diane fossey was really really fucking cool and she studied the mountain gorillas in rwanda and she was murdered in 1985 by poachers basically who were like sick of her trying to protect um the gorillas so he was like just a supporter of people who kind of dedicated their life. And every day, every, sorry, every year to get on the Black Rhino, every year since 2003, Save the Rhino Foundation has held an annual Douglas Adams Memorial Lecture on his birthday to raise money for environmental campaigns. So that just tells you that this dude was dope when it came to protecting animals and 
like I said, I listened to this. So I don't, I'm not entirely sure if I experienced this book in the way it was other people will experience it if they decide from listening to this episode. So, so that's why I'm not going to write it in the same way. I think it would be a very different experience reading it, but I thought it was very cool to listen to it. And so I'm just going to talk about it instead of review it. Like I said, it felt very much like a travel show. There was like overlays of animal sounds, which I think was really cool. Um, like whatever animal, like wherever region they were in, they would like put in like what the like climate would sound in that area. And my other favorite thing about it, which I feel like I'm talking about this and how we're talking about form was that whenever Douglas Adams was talking, there was typewriter clicks as if you were with him while he was writing down his observations about the animals that he saw and the people that he saw. Cause they talked about the people and how often like two indigenous people are the greatest protectors of the animals from that area, which I think is really important because I think a lot of times there is like this like white savior mentality that like we're going to save the animals. But it's like, you guys, the indigenous people have been protecting these animals far longer than the white man. And so I was thankful that they talked about the people, too, and what the place was like, because it brought awareness to that as well. But yeah, so that was really, I thought that was really cool with form, the typewriters that like really stuck with me. And then the other thing that I kind of want to talk about in the same way I would if I was writing it is that what a funny guy, um, Douglas Adams. If you don't like British humor, it might not be for you. But I think British people are so funny. He also used to write for Monty Python, which I think is something to note. But he it's such a dry, sarcastic sense of humor. But I find it laugh out loud funny. And I'm imagining his fiction is the same way. Like, I think when people like I wonder if some people read Hitchhiker's Guide and don't get that it's supposed to be funny. Like, I wonder if they're reading and they're like, this isn't fucking funny. It's because it's not like slapstick, like American comedy. It's like very smart, sarcastic, dry, like I said. But I I think it works really well. And I think it worked well in this nonfiction, too. And I think that's why they picked him, because I think... I mean, he was known for just being hilarious. And so they were like, how funny would it be if we got Douglas Adams to do this show? And then it ended up working perfect. But the other thing that I'll say about it is it was really moving. I think what was cool about it too, to see these animals and live this experience through Douglas Adams' eyes, because he's not... I mean, he is a scientist because of his science fiction, but he's also not. He's a writer. He's just a freaking guy. And he was just like having this profound experience seeing these animals. And it really was like a last chance to see. And so it was really moving. Parts of it were really sad because you know what happened to a lot of these animals, which I'm going to go through each one individually. And then it was also inspirational because it was like there was still this sense of urgency 
to protect these creatures in the 90s and 80s when he was doing the show and when he was writing this um that i think there still is today but hearing that like i feel like i even feel like i'm feeling like inspired to save the earth's creatures right now after listening to it so this is like if you like animals if you like science if you kind of like to know about the flaws of humankind honestly in a more like bleak way but also if you like funny stuff like this is just something like if you're looking for like a non-fiction to read or listen to like I think this is something that you might want to read and I would especially recommend it to people who love Douglas Adams because if you haven't read it I feel like it'll give you like another like tidbit about him that you'll get to like hold on to which like for people whose favorite when you have a favorite writer like you always kind of want more of that and I don't know I find it really interesting this was my first experience with him because now I think I'm going to go into his fiction in a in a really interesting way and I think someone going from his fiction to his nonfiction would feel the same way so I had a fun time with this um but I wanted to go through the animals before Marissa gets into talking about her thing um so the first animal was the eye eye or Madagascar and this was the first time he saw he, he was doing this project this animal is still endangered but from what I'm gathering it hasn't critically changed from when he went which is 1985 so that's cool the next animal is the Komodo dragon, which also is still endangered, um, but hasn't become any more critically endangered. Um, this episode was especially funny because it was, I guess, the freakiest, the scariest creature. And I guess the local people don't even like Komodo dragons because they're like dangerous and kind of mean, I think. But still seeing like that respect from Douglas Adams and from the native people um, of uh, of Indonesia, I thought was cool that like this animal is fucking freaky as hell, but that doesn't mean you can't respect it and protect it. The next one was the mountain gorilla, which are still endangered. But thankfully, a lot is being done for the mountain gorilla people are very committed to preserving their habitat and preserving mountain gorillas and i really liked that episode because mountain gorillas are one of my favorite animals there's like a kinship with monkeys that i find really cool that we have especially with apes i just have a really profound respect for them so that was really cool um I, I don't know. I find that I find gorillas so interesting. They're like definitely my favorite ape. Like I really like orangutans and I think chimps are like they freak me out a little bit, but I think they're really cool. But I don't know. I just love gorillas and they're so they seem so sweet. Also, fun fact about me. I loved Coco the gorilla so much. I was so sad when she died. Like I genuinely cried, but I I used to write her letters all the time as a kid and draw her pictures and I would send them and she would send me postcards back. And I have a postcard from her where she's doing the love sign on the front and she signed it. 
and it is like a prized possession. And I remember I got that in the mail and I was like, the I thought it was the coolest thing ever. I always wanted to go meet her. Obviously I did not. And she is dead. Rest in peace icon. But I was just obsessed with her. Another person who loved Coco and was good friends with her was Robin Williams. And Douglas Adams respect for animals kind of reminds me of Robin Williams respect for animals. And I thought that was like a, with the gorillas, I thought that was like an interesting tie in Robin Williams also being like such a funny, funny person who also died way too young. It's about to get a little sad because the next creature that they saw was the uh, Baiji, which is the river dolphin, the Yangtze River in China. And this animal is extinct. It, there may still be some and they just don't know, but it's almost a hundred, like it's like pretty much confirmed um, that these creatures are fundamentally extinct. Um, the last confirmed river dolphin died in 2002. So it's now been 20 years. And at the time where they were, where they were writing about this, it was pretty clear that this was one of the animals that was not going to make, like this was last chance to see but obviously it, it it's just sad when you like there was an animal that like they were able to commute like they were able to like literally be in the presence of in the 90s and now it's fu like fundamentally extinct and it's largely due to it's one of okay interesting i they noted this in the book but that like it was a lot it has been a big it was humans faults basically that the river dolphin was going extinct it's not always just to, like give a little preference i guess i had always thought it was mostly humans fault when animals are endangered and it is but sometimes that's how evolution works sometimes some creatures just go extinct and it's evolutionary but i'm reading this now that it was noted in the 80s that the Yangtze River dolphin could be the first dolphin species in history that humans were the sole driver of its extinction. And that happened in 2006. It looks like they didn't find any when they went on an expedition and nobody has seen any since. Um, so he died right before we found out that they were fundamentally extinct. The next was the fruit bat, which I thought was a really fun section because fruit bats are such weird creatures. They are kind of otherworldly. So to have a sci-fi writer write about bats was fun. They are endangered, but not. They're threatened by habitat loss, um, but there are conservation efforts. And I've seen that actually. I don't know about you, Marissa, but like have you noticed that like bats are one of the big things that people want to protect? Because you guys, if we didn't have bats, there would be a bug apocalypse. Same with frogs and frogs are endangered too. But now lately there's been bigger conservation efforts for both bats and frogs because they are the reason that we're not overcome with bugs. But this species has an increasing population trend, the fruit bat. So that's great. Um, this is also a species that is kept in a lot of zoos because they're smaller creatures. Um, so Marissa can talk about that. 
so I like that. The Amazonian manatee was endangered when Douglas Adams visited them, but are now classified as vulnerable, which is better on the spectrum. So that's awesome. That was also fun because they're also really weird critters, manatees. And so they are less critically endangered now than they were in the 90s. And I believe it's now illegal to hunt them, which I don't think it always was. And there are conservation efforts to protect them. And they're at risk from pollution and stuff like that specifically. But hopefully they're one of those that maybe is going to be okay. And we can, it teaches you that you can reverse it. The Northern white rhinoceros, this is, I remember when this happened, is fundamentally extinct. Angelifu, a male Northern white rhinoceros at the San Diego Zoo Safari Park, died of natural causes at the age of 44 on the 14th of December, 2014. And he was the last one. I'm unsure there... There may still be, I think he was the last male, and I think that's the problem. There may still be female rhinoceroses at zoos, um, but now we have no way to ever get them back because they've been poached for their tusks in the wild. Um, They're gone. And without a boy, they can't have any more. Um, They revisited the the rhino. Stephen Fry took the plate, who was a good friend of Douglas Adams, took his place. And in 2010, they did a presentation called Return of the Rhino. And I think it was pretty clear at that point that this animal was not going to make it to being saved. Because that was 2010. But yeah, that's really sad. Like I said, I remember when that happened. Marissa and I, like, we haven't really been around for that many animal extinctions yet. Or big animal extinctions. But that was a big one. That kind of hit hard. The black rhinoceros, though, like we mentioned earlier, is still around. And Douglas Adams was a big proponent of making sure they would be okay. Um, so that's nice. And and on a happy note, you guys, just so you know, the way the IUCN scale works is extinct, EW, which I think is fundamentally extinct, critical, which means like basically extinct, endangered, vulnerable, NT, which I'm not sure what that means, but it's closer, and then LC, which is least concerned. So the Juan Fernandez fur seal from Brazil. It was endangered when Douglas Adams went to see it in Last Chance to See. Is now least concern, my friends. This they talked about it in the in that section that like the numbers are increasing of this animal, but it was still endangered. And now y'all, this animal ain't even close to endangered. They bounced back um and that's just really cool because it shows you and i think that's cool that they ended he ended last chance to see on that note and then they really like it really turned out to be that way that like it ended on a hopeful note with the first seals numbers coming up and then it shows that conservation works because now this animal isn't even endangered they're fine they're chilling i mean still protect them at all costs but they're literally chilling in Cedar Rapids now because people worked their asses off 
to save their habitat and save them from being killed. And that is very gorgeous to me. So now you know about some animal and about Douglas Adams' experiences with the creatures of our beautiful planet Earth. Thank you, Mr. Adams. The I.I., if you guys look that creature up, it is a little creepy looking. Yes. And I guess the people in Madagascar believe that it is a bad omen to see one. Yeah. And so they kill it on sight. Now there are laws that are like, um, please don't do that. So we have hope for them. And also, like, they're just little lemurs. They're just they're little just guys. Like That's why they look like friggin' Dobie. He talked about that in Last Chance to See that, like, they think, I think they, like, which, hey, I can see why they think this. But they think they're, like, demons. And I'm like, you were wrong to kill them. But they are very fucking weird and they scream i guess like banshees almost so think about it if you have a particular uh what's it called thought process school of thought that's probably how that one happened they were like no fucking way (laughs) they were like not this but i think they're kind of cute but i traditionally love ugly things like i I remind me of old men they also kind of look like my dog Yeah. Some people think Boston Terriers are ugly and they're not wrong, but I think ugly things are the cutest things. I very much agree. They're really weird. I like lemurs too. They're kind of strange because they're also primates. But I there's not video. You can't like you know how like you see a gorilla and you're like, we're the same fucking thing. Yes. I can see that. We're the same. Lemurs, I'm like, y'all a little weird. I'm like, I can't tell. I can't. I don't see how we're related. You are not of this earth. No. I will admit it. Oh, also before, uh, because I really want to hear about the zoos, but I would just like to say when um, I would really like Planet of the Apes to happen. Um, If I could pick any dystopia, I would pick Planet of the Apes because that sounds like a utopia because I think the apes should rise up and kill us and get rid of us. And I think they should rule the world. That's just me. Like, if we end in apes, I will not even be mad. Full circle. Yeah. Like, I will not care. If, if freaking Andy Serkis as a fucking chimp starts walking on two legs, comes up to me and kills me, I'd be like, hey. Take it easy. Like, you guys won that one. Like, we deserved that. I would love for animals to reclaim the earth. Like, um, me too. That's, that's fine. Yeah. When, when, um, I, when the friggin' plants, plants in human spaces makes me so happy. Yeah. I don't want the bug apocalypse, though. If no, apocalypse no happens, friggin' bugs. I'm I'll have to out. kill myself. Yeah. yeah, I'll be leaving. Y'all can deal with that. It's not for me. That's why we need bats and frogs. I want to hear the I, I make a noise. They scream. <laughs> yes, yeah, I got to admit, if I heard that at night, I'd, I, I wouldn't like it. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I would, I would think that it's a demon. Yeah, I would too. That's just scary. Have you ever heard of Fisher Cat? Oh, fuck that. No. I'm from the country. 
I'm from the wilderness. And Fisher Cats sound like a woman being murdered. And I hate those little shits. I'm sorry, we're just talking about how much we love animals. I don't want the Fisher Cat to go extinct or nothing. I don't want people to kill the eye-eye, but I can see why, if that's your version of a Fisher Cat, I can see why you're hesitant to let them near your crib. It gives me war flashbacks. Ah! (laughs) It triggers me. They're so scary. Look at my picture. Yeah, they look like little weasels. Yeah, they're fucking gross, bro. We have Um, have black bears in Connecticut. I would much rather encounter a black bear than whatever that thing is. I I have encountered a black bear. Was it nice to you? Um, Well, it didn't kill me. I that think they're kind nice. of nice. Did you ever read Blueberries for Sal when you were a kid? No. It's such a fun book, and they go blueberry picking, and there's a bear. They, they were taking his berries. Yeah, they were. They were. It's rude. Yeah, that's what it's I'm a little saying. bit rude. It is. Um. Wow, they're big too. Fisher cats. They're it's, not tiny. No. I hate it. And whenever I I'm out want walking, one. whenever I'm out walking, Bean. I'm like ready to throw hands with a fisher cat. I would defend being with my life against any animal, coyote, hawk, bear, fox, bobcat. But I'm always like on guard to punch a fisher cat in the face when I'm like taking her for a walk at night. I'm like, I'm going to punch this bitch. Let that fisher cat just try. You, they're so grody. They're kind of cute when they're not being... Like, you would think they were kind of cute, but they're yeah, not. They almost have, like, dog-like faces. Yeah. There's something really not okay about them. Yeah. And they scream. I hate it. I hate it. No. But look, I also need to scream. <laughs> kind of relatable. <laughs> wow, guys. Okay, so we don't want them to die. No. We do not want animals to die. So... How do we keep these animals safe? Does anybody know? I've got some ideas. So when I was younger, like middle school, I hated zoos. Hated them. I think that I was just like, these are the worst things ever. These poor animals are sad. They're kept in captivity so that people could stare and point and, and like, I don't know, just look at them and treat them like something crazy. And I just hated zoos. I thought they were so bad. Then I went to college and I was bored and I had no friends. So I decided to watch the zoo on Animal Planet. And it changed my life. It changed my perspective. It is a show about the Bronx Zoo. So it was very close to me. Um, Although I never got to go to the Bronx Zoo, but one day I'm going to go. It's my dream. And pretty much like an episode of the zoo will focus on three-ish animals. And you get to learn, and not like, I mean, specific animals. Like you get to learn the animal's name, why they're in the zoo, um, where they came from, like if they're sick or something, things like that. And that show really helped me learn how important zoos actually are, like, the animals that are in the zoo are not in, they weren't just like one day someone went out to friggin' 
the the Sahara and was or the why did I say the Sahara? The freaking savanna and was like, oh look, a giraffe and put it in a cage and took it to the zoo. That's not how it works. A lot of times animals are in the zoo because they're going extinct. They're very endangered. Um, they're injured and they cannot live in the wild on their own. Humans thought that they could have wild animals as pets. And now the, the animal does not know how to live in the wild on its own. There's so many reasons why animals are in zoos. And it's not just so that people can look at them. It's for the animals. So when you go to a zoo, you're actually doing something good because you're supporting these animals who otherwise would be dead. There was an episode of the zoo where they had, I, I'm pretty sure they were like these little frogs who were very, very endangered and they actually got them to breed and they saved the entire population and they were able to go to the habitat and release them to like their actual habitat so that they can live free. Like every time I think about it, I'm going to cry because it was so good. There's also a lot of, and I mean, like, again, go to your local zoo and figure out why the animals are there. You see a person working at the zoo and say, hey, why is this friggin' snake here? And I bet you they're going to say this snake is endangered or this snake came from a house that had 150 reptiles in it and the snake had to be removed and brought to a happy environment where it could live peacefully on its own because it couldn't live in the wild. I can't even tell you how many episodes of the zoo they like talk about the tigers or the big cats there and they were like, yeah, someone thought they can keep this cat in their friggin' apartment in New York City. A friggin' tiger. Are people dumb? Like, yes, they are. I know that they're dumb, but still. So zoos are super, super important. And I I encourage everyone not only to watch the show, The Zoo, but if you go to the Bronx Zoo's website, you can actually read a lot about how they've helped animals, how they've helped species. You could see where certain animals belong and what their, like what their status is. And I tried looking up my own zoo. So I tried looking up the Buffalo Zoo. And honestly, their website is not that good. And I literally want to reach out to them and be like, hey, um, please let me. Like, I, no one steal my idea, please. Jesus. But if you do, at least you'd be helping the zoo. But I literally want to go to them and I want to be like, look, I'm going to talk to the Buffalo News and let the Buffalo News let me write one article a week. And what I'll do is I'll focus on one specific animal. So like I'll go to an elephant that they have and I'll learn all about that elephant, how it came to be in the zoo. Like, was it was it bred in captivity because its parents didn't weren't able to live on their own? Was it um, is it an endangered species? Is it injured? Um, whatever. Find out all about these animals and then write about it and then. People are going to read that and be like, wow, I feel connected to these animals. They're not just, it's not just an elephant that I see at the zoo. This is like, blah, 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 the elephant. And this is where he came from. And this is why he's here and blah, blah, blah. And also, I think that they need to update their website. And so when you click on like the giraffes, you can see each of the giraffes and what their names are. And maybe like a little bit about them, what food they like to eat, like. Just like sometimes you need to make things personal when it comes to people, when 
things are when wars are happening, we need to see like personal stories about the people who are actually going through the war and who live there. Same thing with these animals. Like sometimes you need to know about these animals so that they they become real. So that's my plan that I'm, I'm going to message the Buffalo Zoo and be like, uh, please let me do this. Literally, I'll do it for free. Like that's how much it means to me. I will do it for free. I don't even care. Yeah. Try going to your local zoo's website. Try looking up what animals are there. Sometimes it tells you um, their like endangered status. Sometimes it doesn't. Read some facts about them. Get to know the animals. Support your zoos as much as you can. Another thing I wanted to talk about, also something that's fun on the Bronx Zoo's website, they have some live cameras. I believe they're only active from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. But you can like go and like, I don't know, maybe you got to get some work done. Just put like the lemurs hopping around on your computer screen and like do work. It's very calming. It's very nice. And it, I don't know, it just makes me feel happy to see them jumping around and living their lives, even if they have to be in captivity because it's like actually helping them. And also, if you're sad about the way that your zoo looks, the more you support it, the more money you give it, the happier the animals could be because the more they can update the zoo. Come on, people. Everyone knows that money runs the world. I'll also say there are websites you can go to to look up your specific area. It's called ecos.fws.gov. And I can put I'm going to put that in the show notes. Um, But. So you go to this page, it says ECOS, and there's a little spot that says species reports. So you click on that, and then you click listed U.S. species occurrence by state. And then there's a list of states, and you scroll down to your own. So for me and Liza, I do New York. Sorry, I'm not doing Connecticut, but whatever. (laughs) Um, I do New York, and according to this site, there are 24 different um, species that we should be looking out for Um, there. And it'll tell you like whether they're endangered or threatened or, you know, it'll tell you like where on that scale they are. Um, It'll tell you exactly where in that state they are, like which region, if they're by the Great Lakes, if they're by uh, the ocean. So It'll tell you there are different birds. For us, there are four different birds, four different clams, one fern, um, one flowering plant. Actually, I lied. There are seven flowering plants, one insect, two mammals, four reptiles, and one snail. And you can click on their name. You could read a bit about them. You can see them. You could see if they're threatened. You know, you could read a little bit about them, where they usually are, what they look like, how to exactly identify them, how far they like range across the country. All these really interesting things. And I don't know, it's nice to know what's going on in your area. Like some of these things I've never even seen before. Never even seen before. Me and Liza were just talking about bats. There are two bats in New York State that are, one is endangered. The Indiana bat is endangered. And then the northern long-eared bat is threatened. And you can literally click on them. 
and people who say that bats are not cute are wrong. They are very much ugly cute. And you could see the cute little bat and feel sad about it because that's what I do. Um, There's a beautiful butterfly, a blue butterfly from New York State that is going, that is endangered. And I, I highly recommend that people just go and take a look at it and just see what's going on near you. Um, maybe you've seen these things before. Maybe you haven't. And I know it's like, yeah, I live here. I've seen everything. No, but, but baby, little bestie, you haven't. I didn't freaking know there was such thing as a bog turtle. I didn't know a bog turtle was threatened. I love and you know what? He's freaking cute. Bog turtle is. He's so small and cute. He is so small and cute. There are some states that are definitely going to be harder than others. Like, obviously, the animals that are closer to Buffalo are not really going to be in New York City. But again, there's a little map where you could actually see that. And something that I would like to do, I haven't done it yet, is look up all the animals that are endangered or threatened in my state and then see how many of them are in the zoo and what the zoo is doing for them because I think that's really, really important. So here's what I want to leave you with today. A, support your local zoos. Um, Donate money. Volunteer your time. Go and see the zoo. Tell other people how good the zoos are. Watch the zoo on Animal Planet, go to your zoo's website, show interest in the zoo, follow them on social media accounts, like their photos, things like that. I know that that seems like nothing, but those are, again, very, very small steps that are sh- that show your zoo that you are supporting them and that they have support behind them. Very important. I'm When my zoo like has a new baby animal, I'm one of the first people to comment on it and be like, this is what you've got to name that like i i'm i'm the first like because i am all about zoos and they're so important and then another thing i have i'm going to put this in the show notes too i found lithub.com posted a video of douglas adams um doing a lecture for i don't remember which college it was specifically but a college in california and um, he talked about his time in Madagascar in Madagascar writing like last chance to see. And he told some really funny stories. Um, he gave some writer advice in the beginning. He just seems like such a great guy. And it was a little bit heartbreaking, but also really great to like watch this video and listen to him talk and see how passionate he is and how goofy he is. And I, I really encourage everyone to go in and listen to that because it was really good and you know I think that we really all need to be a friend of the animal like I you if your best friend were to die it would feel like a very big chunk of you is missing and I think that when animal species as a whole die I get that same feeling like something that is meant to be in the world is no longer there. That's very sad and very serious. And I think that we all need to think of the animals. And that's the tea on that besties. Go watch the zoo right now. Binge watch it. It's so friggin' good. Period.
I am really happy to hear, like, I kind of knew that about Zeus, but it makes me happy to know, like, confirmed that Zeus are helping. Yes. And do you do so? We should check the zoo first to make sure they're a good zoo. Or is um, it now that most zoos are good? Now most zoos are good. Okay. Like it definitely didn't start out that way. And like I wouldn't say like, oh, go support a circus. Like no, circuses yeah. that have animals do not support that. Maybe like a dog. I feel like the dog is okay because dogs like dogs like being under attention and doing dopey yeah. shit. Yeah. But like mm, other than that, I would say absolutely not. Um, but most zoos now are centered around um, endangered species and fixing that. That's so good. I like because I love animals so mm. much and I like to see them. Liza, you would love the zoo. OK. And also the thing about the zoo is like you are so close. You can go to that zoo and then see the animals that were on that show. How Freaking cool is that? I would love to see it. And I'm so excited about the live cam because I, I love that. I love live yes. cams of little freaking animals. They're so I, good. I, uh, the last zoo I probably went to was the National Zoo in D.C. And that zoo's lit AF, bro. I went there before the pandemic. Um, A little, I guess that was a while ago now that I went. But they have pandas. I love like, that. What the hell? Also... I'm glad to know, and I'm going to make sure, but I'm glad to know that most zoos are good because I love the Central Park Zoo. It's so cute. So if I could confirm that those animals are being, Mm -hmm. like, they only have small animals there, too, which I appreciate because it's a small zoo. Like, the Bronx Zoo is big, so they can have big animals. But the Central Park Zoo is in Central Park. So they have like red pandas, um, sea lions, birds. Like they have smaller little critters, um, which is nice because you don't you would not have a big creature there in a small space. One of the good things about um, New York City is there are quite a few zoos in a a short amount like in a small space and so they work together a lot um, and they like like I don't want to say trade animals but like for example there was one episode where uh sea lions are very aggressive with each other and so you can only have one male and then a bunch of females but after a while after the male has like mated with all of the females then you need to like switch it up to because it don't always work, bestie. But then you got to switch it up to make sure that um, you're keeping the species clean. Mm. Um, and so the one episode, the Central Park Zoo and the Bronx Zoo, like, switched male sea lions. What? And it was, like, it was, like, a little bit sad because, like, the one sea lion was, like, leaving. But it was also, like, they're getting, like, a new one. And a new he- friend. <laughs> yes. And he was so ready to, like, like, I don't know. It was just so cute to see them, like, get in their new environment and, like, meet all the new, um, like, zoo keepers and all the, like, other sea lions. Um, and they, they do that a lot where they have to try to mate animals and they 
get animals from like other zoos to come over so that they can like you know put the moves on each other and ah, i love it it's it's so fun and it's everyone watch the freaking zoo right now go freaking watch it i think you should reach out to the buffalo zoo and see what's tea the okay if you look at the bronx zoo their website is very good and they talk a lot about conservation and like they do on the buffalo zoo but not enough i think um like i think it really needs to be pressed that this is what the zoo is for and this is what it's about and they're not exactly there yet Mm. which like i know that they're doing it they're just not promoting it the right way Mm -hmm. um and i definitely think that again like the bronx zoo the thing that made me like zoos is getting to see one-on-one animals like that sea lion i learned his name i learned what food he likes which trainers he likes i watched him be trained to get in his crate and then he went off to like a new zoo to go have new friends and that was like so cool and so i think that people need to get like your dog your dog you know your dog right and it's like you tell people about your dog you're like oh my dog like my dog loves chicken Liza's dog loves chicken. Did you guys know that? She loves chicken. And like now you know something about Liza's dog and she becomes more real. Yes. Yes. And that's so kind reach of, out to them. That, and that's also kind of what Douglas Adams was doing when he did Last Chance to See. He was like, I know I write sci-fi and I write about these crazy things in space, but these are real animals that are here. And I'm going to tell you about them so that they feel real to you too such an amazing thing really cool shit i think for uh march 11th mr douglas adams's birthday everyone should go to the zoo maybe an aquarium i love go it. to some kind of conservation thing in your area um maybe even just like walk in your local nature preserve and see the animals that are going on there um maybe just take a second to think about the animals in your area and what it would feel like for them to not be there yeah i like that missy that's your homework for the week homework and oh i was just gonna say best friend i don't know what i'm reading next week even though we know the theme just fyi I know what I'm reading. So you can share. I still need to pick because there's like five different ones at work that I want. And every Mm -hmm. time I go upstairs to pick one, I get overwhelmed and I walk away. I mean, that's fine. That happens. It happens. Wait, also, just because we're on this topic and I just thought about it. Please be very careful when you are going to PetSmart or something to buy animals like... Just because you think a fish is an easy pet does not mean that they are an easy pet. No. Um, and please do not just have a fish for it to be aesthetically pleasing. Right. I miss my fish Rigatoni every single day. She yes. had her own personality. R.I.P. Rig. She was a real one. R.I.P. Um, Rig. She had her own personality. And again, I just think... Let's be more respectful to the animals. 
but okay so enough on that um so next week we are going to be celebrating poetry because march 21st is world poetry day or me and liza are gonna get our fingers into some poetry and let it go um i am reading uh on earth we are briefly gorgeous by ocean vong and i'm so excited because i've had this book on my shelf for so long and i've read stuff from ocean before and it's amazing is that poetry i thought it was a novel it's poetry i think it's poetry that's so cool I don't know what I'm reading best Wait, friends. Now that I think about it, I feel like I might, because I have two of his books. Maybe instead of reading that one, I'm going to read Night Sky with Exit Wounds. Instead, I changed my mind right on the fly because I looked at the covers and I was like, wait, I kind of like that one better. Live so, your life. That's what one I'm going to read instead. I don't um, know what I'm reading because there's so many poetry to choose from. Hey. Read two. <laughs> I know I might. I'm going to go up to the f- poetry section tomorrow at work, stick my little nose in there, see what's going on. And w- close her eyes and wherever her finger stops. Wherever the spirit moves me, I will pick that poetry book. Done. Done. Get her done. Get her done. <laughs> and so y'all should um, hug an animal. Hug an animal. Um. Buy a poetry book. Mm-hmm. Yep. And do something that Douglas Adams would condone. Period. Queen. Done. Watch an episode of Doctor Who. Watch an episode of Doctor Who and the zoo. And the zoo. Your homework... If you can't make yourself read a poetry book, which, let's face it, sometimes it's hard to read. Poetry's hard. Pick a episode of Doctor Who and an episode of The Zoo instead, and we'll let it slide. We'll love you anyway. Yeah. Um, bye. 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 Peace out. Peace. Gotta be one of my shrimps, gotta be one of my favorite genders.